0: Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an every Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. For those of you who are brand new listeners or more veteran listeners who just haven't done so yet, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform, including Megaphone, Spotify, Apple, and Google. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, there will be quite a bit to cover, starting off with a brief recap of Winnipeg's game against the Philadelphia Flyers last night. Following that, we're going to talk about the Taylor Hall trade and what it means for the NHL. Oh, yes, the Taylor Hall trade finally did occur after several days of waiting. So, strap in, get ready, get yourself a nice cold drink or a snack, and grab a proverbial seat by the fire because Lockdown Jets is coming to you right now. Last night, the Philadelphia Flyers paid a nice little visit to Winnipeg in the hopes of securing a road win against a pretty tough team. I say the Jets are tough because they're at home, and uh, they have Connor Hellebuck in net, so usually that's going to be a recipe for a tough outing for most teams, regardless of the quality of competition. Despite the somewhat difficult task ahead of the Flyers, I felt that, at the start, Philadelphia was very good. At times, they were buzzing around Connor Hellebuck's crease, and they created a lot of chaos off of Winnipeg's inability to exit their defensive zone and make a simple clearance. As is the usual trend with Winnipeg's defensive structure, which, to say, there isn't a whole lot there, was that the Jets really had trouble cycling the puck around the defensive zone and getting it out. This isn't exactly a new trend. It's ongoing, as you are unsurprisingly aware of by now, Um, but even then, it's still troubling, to say the least. At some point, you'd rather see the Jets at least make one or two clearances rather than get caught up in their own zone and chaos. As of yet, though, Winnipeg is still a defensive mess, and uh, it really wasn't helped by the fact that the Flyers have a pretty aggressive forecheck. There's a lot of skill on that team, and they're pretty good at cycling the puck down low and getting it into highly dangerous areas right in front of the net front slot. Winnipeg was honestly fortunate not to be down early, especially after the Flyers had a couple of great golden chances that Hellebuck had to stop. Philadelphia this season is something of a puzzle. There are times when they're actually pretty decent, and then there are plenty of times where they're just a terrible team, and it's hard to get a read on what exactly the Flyers are this season. They're in a very tough division this year, and I don't know, I don't have a whole lot of faith in that team. Things have been especially hard for the team lately, especially with Oscar Lindblom's Ewing's sarcoma diagnosis, and then the uh, Nolan Patrick extended injury. A lot of the young talent that the Flyers were hoping to build this season around has now been sidelined either indefinitely or at least for the foreseeable future until maybe next calendar year. What you're left with is is still a pretty decent team on paper. I mean, you've got Sean Couturier, who's arguably one of the 10 best centers in the NHL. You've got um, a very talented rookie netminder in Carter Hart. Ivan Provorov looks to be rebounding for the defense. Travis Sanheim's an excellent young defenseman. Uh, Shane Goss Despair has had a bit of a setback this year. It's been going on for a couple of seasons now, but it's still not a great sign for him. Travis Konechny is doing pretty well for himself, um, but I think Jake Voracek is starting to show his age. Uh, Voracek and Giroux over the past couple of seasons have declined a bit. Voracek's the one showing his age the most, though, and he's definitely getting up there in years. If his performance continues to decrease and decline as it has already, the Flyers might be in a little bit of trouble going forward. They're in an odd position of having a lot of talented scorers, but not as many great play drivers. They could obviously use another Couture, eh I mean, every team in the NHL certainly could. Um, but I think the loss of Patrick and the loss of Lindblom, I don't know how this team is going to survive over the next few months. A couple of people have said that probably by the end of January, the Flyers aren't going to be in a playoff spot, and I think that that's a pretty fair assessment. Unless something miraculous happens and the, and they get a lot of extra depth somewhere, or the goaltending is somehow able to cover for the team's mistakes, I, I just don't see the Flyers really being all that competitive this year. It's not exactly a bad year to to kind of go for a top pick either. I mean, the 2020 NHL draft is pretty deep from what I understand, so... Philadelphia can afford to at least wait a little bit longer, especially for guys like um, Heman Rupsov and a few other guys, uh, Morgan Frost, all of those prospects can marinate for a few more months, really, um, if not another whole season, at least long enough to get the Flyers to a more competitive state. All that said, I felt like the Flyers came out with something to prove against the Jets, and I felt like until their first couple of goals from the Jets, things were going pretty well. And then, as Winnipeg is wont to do this season, I mean, they kind of they kind of go against the run of play and and struggle, and yet still produce some really nice goals. Um, Nick Aylers got the first one off of a feed from Jack Roslovic, and then Lucas Abisa added a second towards the middle point of the period, blasting one from great distance near the blue line. I don't think Elliot ever really saw it, and it just cleanly beat him right over his shoulder. As far as goals go, that's not one that you really want to give up, especially to a third-pairing guy. Uh, eh, Some of these guys have great hard slap shots, but I think Elliott would have preferred, certainly, to get a hand on it at least. I wouldn't say that the Jets were completely dominated in the first frame, but they definitely weren't amazing. And I think the Flyers did a good job of pressuring the Jets whenever they could, even though the scoreline really didn't reflect fairly. Towards the start of the second period, Matt Niskanen opened things up for the Philadelphia account. With a decent-looking goal, I mean, it's not the kind that I would want to see Winnipeg give up, um, especially on the power play. I mean, the Jets' penalty kill is not that good, but again, defenseman scoring, especially guys like Niskanen, not great. The initial shot that was taken kind of bounced off of Hellebuck and fell right in front of him, and Niskanen was apparently right there in front of the net and able to collect the rebound and score on his backhand. Again, the Jets' penalty killers and defenders just aren't that good at clearing the crease. I think this was kind of a bang-bang play, but even still, just not good enough. After that goal, I kind of felt like the Jets were going to start conceding chances and then that, you know, the Flyers would tie it up and probably take the lead towards the end of the second period. Um, what ended up happening was a lot more shocking, I have to say. Things were going pretty evenly, and then, for some reason, Matthew Perot was in the corner and, and fed the puck away from himself. And Joel Farabee, the young rookie for, for Philadelphia, kind of comes in really hot, hits him up high, catches him right in the head, and concusses Perot. I honestly have no idea what Farabee is thinking there, because the puck's not even close to Perot and it's an extremely late hit. There's not much as you can really say about it. It's just a straight-up dirty play, and the targeting was so clear. The refs, of course, assessed a five-minute major, and if I recall correctly, I believe Farabee was ejected from the game. After that, things kind of fell apart for Philadelphia. Um, The Jets got a five-minute power play, and Blake Wheeler and Mark Shifley both connected on it to put the Jets up 4-1. Winnipeg really wasn't done scoring, though, and in the span of around seven or eight minutes, they tallied four different goals, um, from Logan Shaw, Patrick Laine, Mark Shifley, Blake Wheeler, two of them, of course, being the power play markers, and the others coming at even strength. The Shaw and Laine goals were within, like, ten seconds of each other, and it was just, like, a total bang-bang sequence on both plays. I think after the power play goals against, it just seemed like Philadelphia had totally lost the will to fight. Um, their defensive structure broke apart, they looked really slow and tired and Brian Elliott really wasn't seeing the shots all that well. It had to be a pretty dispiriting uh, performance if you're a Flyers fan. It just seemed like the team totally caved in. There was, however, a little bit of a spark. Um, James Van Riemstyk, right before the end of the period, collected a nice rebound and scored, um, I believe off of a off shot, but beyond that, just not much positive to take from this game. Uh, Kyle Connor then scored a power play goal after a couple of weird sequences where I think the Flyers were trying to clear the zone, and they flipped the puck out cleanly like two or three times. On the first power play of that sequence in the third period, the Jets really didn't get anything going. Um, on the second power play, though, Connor did score, so yay, go Jets. On a lot of the power plays, the Jets were kind of getting weird and doing some stuff that I really don't understand. I think we saw Andrew Copp and Adam Lowry on one power play unit, and that, that's just not really what you wanna, what you want to be going for at this point. Cop, I can live with, but I think Lowry's skill set is much more suited to even strength forechecking rather than trying to score on the odd man advantage. After that, I think the Wood Jets just kind of switched off for most of the game. They were already sort of disengaged to begin with, but they especially switched off because, I mean, they're rocking a 7-2 lead, so they weren't really that concerned or worried. They did concede a final goal to Goss Despair to make it 7-3, but again, not really a big deal. The Jets seem to be in cruise control for the most part. The Flyers definitely did try and even the game up. I mean, even though they were they were down by a, a handful of goals, they were really pushing hard, and it felt like Hellebuck had to make a really great number of saves, especially in the closing minutes of the game. Hellebuck uh, overall had like 32 shots to save, um, and some of them were pretty marvelous opportunities, and uh, Hellebuck looked pretty sharp. I don't think that most of the goals against him were, any, were really his fault. They were mostly just bad clearances in front of the net, so... Yep, Hellebuck is still my presumptive Vezina nominee. I mean, he's carrying this team through some really rough stretches of play, so I have to be really proud of the performances he's putting up. With the game recap out of the way, I'm sure you'd all love to hear about the Taylor Hall trade that occurred this afternoon, where it appears the Arizona Coyotes are doing some early Christmas shopping for themselves. Speaking of Christmas shopping, Breaking Tea has your back. If you're looking for a last-minute fun sports gift for the holidays, go to breakingtea.com slash locked on. Breaking Tea offers all the latest and greatest in sports moments captured on a t-shirt. It's the perfect gift for the holidays, and everything is real-time. Make sure to check out breakingtea.com and check out everything they have to offer. NHL fans, if you were disappointed by the only NHL trade so far of note being the Chandler Stephenson for a fifth-round pick deal, congratulations. The big kahuna has finally arrived. Franchise winger from New Jersey, Taylor Hall, has finally been traded. The game-breaking winger was sent to the Arizona Coyotes in a pretty large package that included Kevin Ball, Blake Spears, Nick Merkley, and a, a couple of picks including a first-rounder, one of which I believe was conditional. The first-rounder is lottery-protected, so if for some reason Arizona tanks and ends up getting one of the lotto picks in the top three, it automatically slides back to next season, I believe. New Jersey also agreed to retain half of uh, half of Taylor Hall's remaining contract, so... There's kind of a lot to unpack here because this is a pretty large deal. Um, Usually, we don't see that many trade deadline rentals this early in the season. My general feeling about this deal is I'm kind of meh on the return. I know that, again, Taylor Hall has an expiring contract and he's a winger, but I just don't love this deal from New Jersey's perspective. I think Shiro and the Devils played it a little bit safe in that they were kind of worried that they're going to get nothing for him, and so they decided to make a move to preempt the market. And in every sense, I I totally get it. I think that there's a risk aversion here that they're going for, and in some ways it's a sensible decision, especially when you have somebody like Hall. I think what I'm less high on is is Kevin Ball, Nick Merkley, and Nate Schnarr being the centerpieces of the prospects that were sent in the deal. Of those guys, I would probably say that Schnarr has maybe the, the most upside. He's had a pretty decent start to his AHL career. But um, Kevin Ball, I'm not huge on. He's definitely a big, big defenseman, and I think that's why a lot of people really like him. He's very tall, very strong, uh, but I'm not a huge fan of his edge work, and I feel like as far as defensemen go, he's one of those big stay-at-home kind of guys. He's sort of, to me, like Logan Stanley, except Logan Stanley's actually been okay at the AHL level. I'm, again, just not a fan of these big guys who don't really have a lot of transition game. Big defensemen right now um, are certainly popular with the Devils. They seem to be going for these lower skill, but big, physically imposing dudes on their back end. With the way the NHL is going, it see, to me it just seems like an odd pick, especially because the Devils at times have positioned themselves to be a more progressive squad. Um, as far as the other guys go, Nick Merkley used to have a lot of potential. Uh, his career is kind of stalled out in the pro leagues, and I feel like if he does have anything left in the tank, it would be cool to see him sort of resuscitate his career with the with the Devils, but... Again, I don't see a whole lot of upside there. Of the prospects, I definitely have some time for Nate Schnarr, who's been pretty decent at age 20 for for the Tucson Roadrunners. If he and Merkley can both stay healthy and have full seasons and and continue to develop, that'd be the best case scenario for the Devils. Merkley especially needs to stay healthy because I I just don't know how many more IR stints he has in his career before at some point he has to start thinking about hanging him up. Schnarr is a nice size center with some good offensive instincts and pretty deft hands. I'd like to see what he can do down the road, probably in like a middle six roll. I think that that's probably where his ceiling is at this point, point. Um, and if he, if he develops into anything more, that's just, you know, icing on the cake. But he seems like he'll find himself at some point like a third or a fourth line roll with uh, pretty decent results. All in all, I, I'm just, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of feeling mad on this return. I... I'm just not loving the package. I mean, Merkley has potential. He could be like a Robbie Fabry where his career rebounds if he can stay healthy. Considering the path to a regular NHL job that, that Fabry has, um, Merkley has a decent potential to turn into something. I just don't know if the amount of game time he's missed has already stunted his development to a point where he's just not going to evolve into more than maybe a third or a fourth liner. And I think that that's still good value and he still has talent as a player, but Again, you're losing Taylor Hall, and uh, yeah, you're just not going to get much for an expiring contract. But I felt like New Jersey again jumped the gun a little bit. If that's really the best offer that you can get, I understand, Um, but they didn't even wait till the deadline. And there was, it just doesn't seem like the offers really had to have been sort of mediocre if that's the one that you pick. And there, there were rumored to be like something like six suitors for Hall services, if not more, I'm sure there were more. And if you retain half of the salary that he's still got on this contract, the cap hit's hit, very manageable, so, yeah, color me a bit surprised i'm I'm not a fan of this trade. It's a real safe play by New Jersey, and as far as the coyotes are concerned, i I don't know that it's going to move the needle for them exponentially speaking. Hall is like a super huge forward upgrade for them. I mean, there's absolutely no question of that, but their team before him was not super great. I have a hard time seeing them making a whole lot of noise in the playoffs, and I'm just not convinced that having Hall as a rental is going to change all that much for them. Maybe the dude turns the squad around, but I'm just not looking at that roster and thinking, yep, that's going to be like a Stanley Cup contender. Um, Weirder things have happened, and they have some pretty strong goaltending when it's at full strength, but again, I'm just, I'm I'm a little uncertain about this whole deal for all the parties involved. It's definitely fun to see a franchise like Arizona punting for it and going for it, but I... we saw the Blue Jackets kind of do the same thing last year, albeit to a much, much, much more extreme degree. It didn't exactly pan out well for Columbus, generally speaking. But uh, those who dare win. and So, you know, I'm totally cool with Arizona taking a bit of a risk. I don't think that they gave up too, too many assets for a, a pretty high-end rentals. And they're getting him for like almost two-thirds of the season. So there's definite, definite value in what they're getting for his contract length. Whether it's enough to push Arizona into to a nicer, higher-end conversation as far as the team's future is concerned, not convinced. And I do think Hall will definitely go somewhere else in free agency. Um, unless the, the Yotes are able to free up a lot of salary and fit his contract in, just not seeing a fit for either side long term. Before we close this evening out, just wanted to share a few NHL updates with y'all, because there are a few new things that have happened. Revisiting the uh, Joel Farabee incident from last night's game, the Department of Player Safety has suspended him for three games. I'm not going to lie, I was actually pretty surprised by this, because yeah, the hit was definitely worth a, a couple of games at least, but Farabee's a first-time offender, and usually repeat offenders are the ones who get, you know, lengths of more than one or two games. I'm a little surprised that they were as harsh on Faraby as they as they were, but I mean, um, Perot did have a pretty bad injury out of it, so that's usually what they punish on. It's not really fair based on the metrics of the system that they continually just seem to invent, but that's how it is. I think Farabee definitely regrets it himself, um, and you could tell by his body language and his expression that as soon as he made the hit, he was like, you know, crap, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have committed to that. So I think as far as he's concerned, he's probably learned his lesson and he won't be doing that again, or at least I hope he did, because you know, guys like Tom Wilson keep doing dumb stuff. Wilson nailed someone again tonight against the board, so I think he'll probably be getting a call from the the DOPS. Um, Another repeat offender. He said he learned his lesson, and again, it doesn't seem like he did. Dude can be a phenomenal offensive winger, but guy kind of has some caveman antics every once in a while when he's uh, using his physicality on the ice. I don't know if this was intentional, but, you know, with with Wilson's past behavior, you really can't rule against it. I'd expect at least a couple of games, if not a major fine of some sort. He was already banned for, like, infinity games already, so at this point, I really don't know what more you're going to penalize him with other than just giving him, like, a season-long suspension. Aside from dirty hits, um, there was actually an update on the Mark Crawford situation with the Blackhawks. Um, Crawford has been suspended until January 2nd. Um, And they actually released a joint statement with the Blackhawks and Mark Crawford personally addressing the media. Reading Crawford's statement, I actually thought it was very well done. Um, He personally apologized for his past conduct and basically said that he's actually been working to improve himself for about 10 years now. He explained that he was very regretful for his actions and that he'd already been working to try and and fix himself over the past several years, um, going to counseling and working on his behavioral issues. He also indicated that he'd personally reached out to players and and wanted to apologize for his past transgressions and and the amount of pain that he inflicted. As far as uh, rehabilitating yourself and rehabilitating your image, I think that that's the best way that you can do it. Um, I think if you show that you've personally grown and taken measures and steps to try and fix that and address and right your wrongs, There's room for reconciliation and forgiveness. This is quite different than the Bill Peters approach, which was basically a non-apology, in my opinion. And I feel like Crawford did the right thing and and made the right statements that would put him in a little bit better straits. It seems like, for the time being, at least that situation is going to be a lot better in the end than some of the other situations that we've seen around the league. Uh, catching up on tonight's NHL action, of which some of which did have uh, an impact on Winnipeg's standings in the Central Division. The Colorado Avalanche, playing on the road in St. Louis, were defeated 5-2, which is probably good for the Jets since it's one less opportunity for the Avs to continue to add to their points total and maintain their hold on the second divisional playoff spot. The Edmonton Oilers also defeated the Dallas Stars, so Winnipeg doesn't really have too much to worry about from below them, at least. Um, The Nashville Predators did beat the New York Rangers 5-2, But again, I don't really think that that moves the needle all that much. Um, Nashville is still in 5th in the Western Conference. um, 35 points on the year, which is actually, checking at the standings right now, 7 behind Winnipeg. That is pretty rough, I have to say, especially for the expectations of the Preds. Um, Nashville just cannot seem to get that many saves, generally speaking. Uh, Even though they beat the Rangers tonight, the New York Rangers aren't really that great of a team. Against better competition, the Preds' goaltending has just been pretty dreadful this season, and and you factor that in with their inability to score all that many goals, um, because they just don't have the goal-scoring talent right now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't. Know when, I don't know if that team's going to make the playoffs. I envision that they will at the end of the season, if they, especially if they make some trade deadline acquisitions. But. I don't know. I'm just not feeling that team. Generally speaking, I've I've long felt like Nashville was going to start to decline pretty quickly, especially after their failed Cup run. I think that's the best that that team's going to get for a while. So maybe this is the start of the slow decline, um, or I guess rapid in some. You know, especially in the goaltending, it's been rapidly declining. But I don't know. I don't know what the Preds are going to do, and I don't know how they're going to fix that mess. They still have enough on paper to salvage the situation. So if they if they kind of make some some coaching changes at some point and maybe some roster changes in the near future, yeah, maybe they they uh, they pull themselves back in the playoff race and back in a wild card spot. It's certainly not too late, especially if if one of the AVS or the Jets starts to stumble down the stretch and they kind of fall towards a wild card spot or, or just out of the playoffs completely. There is most certainly opportunity there for Nashville to make some noise, but those are concerns for another day. I hope you guys have enjoyed the episode. Uh, Be sure to hit me up with any comments at HLLivingLoco on Twitter or at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets for the podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice. And as always, go Jets go. Have a good night, and thanks again.